0: Welcome to the Living Stones podcast. These are a recording of our Sunday morning
1: meetings. We pray that these will be a blessing to you. So please enjoy listening. If you want to know more, please contact us at office at livingstoneschurch.co.uk. Well, welcome, everybody. Um, We seem to be extremely thin on the ground this morning, um, and there are varying reasons for that. Some people are are isolating at home. Others are travelling internationally. Um, others lack of, lack of interest I don't know uh, <laughs> but welcome um, would like to welcome Rob who is um, our guest worship leader today um, let's just make him feel welcome <coughs> Rob I apologise that there's, there's not more people here we did advertise you were coming I'm wondering if that was the reason people didn't come <laughs> indeed <laughs> Anyway, let's, um, let's pray. Whether Who was it who said it? Whether we are few or many. Jeanette said that, didn't she? Jeanette, would you like to pray for us? Father, I do thank you that we are able to gather here today.
0: That we are family. That we come united by your Holy Spirit. With one Father. With one Saviour. With a living hope. That one day we will see you, Lord Jesus, and worship you. May you be gracious and and presence yourself with us this morning, Lord, that we may worship you in spirit and in truth.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, Today, as you can see, uh, is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, Martin will lead us through that later on. But actually, it is a reminder that God keeps his promises. Um, as, we, as, we, as we come up to remember the birth of Christ, um, it is a reminder that down through the centuries, the Lord kept his promise. He made a promise to King David. I don't know if you remember King David, he, um, he, he wanted to build a house for the Lord. And, um, and the prophet came back to him and said, you shall not be the one who builds me a house. Um, but your son who will come from you will build, build me a house. He then went on to say, but because you did this thing, the Lord said to David, you shall never cease to have um, someone from your family line sitting on your throne. And it could have all gone pear-shaped. There was, uh, in, in, the, in the history of Israel, there was a queen called um, Atat, Atat, what's her name? Hold on. Athaliah, that's it. And she was truly a wicked, wicked person. Um, she was who might sit on the throne of David. And there was a time when only one was left, um, a young boy called Joash. At the time when she was killing all of his brothers, um, the, high, uh, the priest's wife took Joash, who was one year old, and hid him and protected him in the temple courts. Um, while this murder was going on. And had he been killed, David's line would have ceased. And yet through Jehadiah, who was the priest, who was the uh, the husband of the woman that took and protected uh, Joash, that David's line um, continued. Now you read these things. I struggle to remember who my cousins are, who's married to who, who's got which children, who they belong to. And you read these things through the book of Kings and Samuel. And it's only when I read the footnote, I thought, Lord, how faithful you are. Even this, this one boy, one year old, you protected him. And from him came Christ. And the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he shall always have a king to sit on the throne of David. And that king is Jesus. So as we come now to worship this, this God who keeps his promises, um, let us bear in mind who it is we're worshipping. And Rob, thank you so much for coming. I know you've got a cold, um, but we, we do really appreciate you and bless you. Rob. Okay, um, just uh, a few notices before, I mean, you can go and get tea and coffee now if you want, um, but shortly we'll have Martin come up. He will lead us in our Um, in the word and also in the lighting the first candle but just a few notices um, it seems that Dan and Susie thats I forgot her name, I was going to call her something else they seem to have um, had their trip waylaid by the advent of this this latest South Africa variant um, and have been caught up in the midst of the various regulations They don't know whether to stay in the country that they're at um, for 10 days. Um, It is a real difficult conundrum as to what they do. And they don't have the money to come here and isolate in a hotel. And so I think it would be good, just in a second, if um, a few of us could openly pray for them. Because it's one of those situations where only the law can sort this one out. um, Because they're torn between regulations in different countries. Um, as for Andy Mason, um, I spoke with Kaz this morning and he is making progress. Um, I, those of you who don't know, he was involved in quite a serious um, motor incident where he was knocked over as he was walking along the street to go and get petrol for his vehicle. Um, he is making progress, but uh, if there is a concern, it is about um, a blood clot which is, is slow to dissipate or to, to break up and... and um, So please let's keep praying for him. Um, It must be a very difficult time. And they've asked specifically to pray for this one lady who stopped and was with him um, until the emergency services arrived. It seemed that she was a great comfort to him at that time. So let's please remember that. Can we pray for um, Dan and Susie? And um, let's pray for Andy while we're here as well. Please feel free to, to pray.
0: So um, on, on Friday, uh, we had our youth club here. There's about 35 kids. And uh, Justin asked them a question about how many of you are expecting to have an Advent calendar uh, this year. And I would say most of them put their hands up, didn't they? Yeah. And, and these were just ordinary kids from ordinary families around in, in Old Town. And, um, and we guess that the attraction of the Advent calendar is the chocolate that they get every day. Now, uh, that's fine, you know, anything to just help focus the kids on, uh, you know, something of the meaning of Christmas is good, but what we do uh, during Advent, and we've been doing this for, I don't know, many years now, is that we, every Sunday before Advent, the four Sundays before Advent, we light a candle, and it's... Just a candle to remind us, to just tune our hearts towards the significance of this Christmas. When we remember when God sent his son into the world as a little tiny baby to be our saviour. And uh, each candle has a significance. I'll tell you the significance of today's. And then, of course, on Christmas Day, we light central one so um i want a volunteer to come up and light our candle first candle and the first candle is a candle of hope it's to remind us that this is a season of hope so um i tell a volunteer i'm going to pick on tay actually come on tay you can you can light our first candle for us come on And we give you a very special, extra long matchstick to do it with. You strike it. You strike it on the bottom. Are you all right with striking candles? Uh, striking matches. You've never, honestly. How can you live to his age and never struck a candle? <laughs> <laughs> Health and safety. Right. This is a match. This is what you strike it on, like that, and it will magically light. And then you take it to the candle, and you light the candle. Do you want me to help you? Come on, one, two, three. Look at that. Ah! All right, it's broken, but it's all right, hold it. Come on, come on, light the candle. <laughs> that's it. That's lit. Now, Blow that one out. Not the candle. Come on, big blow. <laughs> and we just hope the smoke alarm doesn't go off. <laughs> okay, uh, we 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 got a prayer that we're all going to pray together. It will come up on the screen. Okay, let's pray this together. Our Father, as we come again to this time when we look forward to the coming of Jesus as a baby, born to a humble but obedient Mary in Bethlehem, help us to prepare our hearts to receive Him. Keep us from the materialism and the consumerism of this time of year and give us opportunities to witness to all those we meet of the true meaning of Advent. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Thank you. And uh, for families, we have Advent candles. So have a word with Justin. Uh, We have some Advent candles that you can light every day. Brilliant. Is everyone topped up with coffee that needs good? Okay. You join us today as we carry on our journey uh, through the wilderness with the people of Israel. Uh, this is uh, the narrative of Of a journey which started with the people in slavery in Egypt and it continues through to their coming into the land that God had promised them, the land of Canaan. And we're taking this journey with them through the book of Exodus. We've arrived at Exodus chapter 18, and uh, this chapter 18 is really quite a welcome break from all the drama that has been and a moment of rest before the mighty happenings of chapters 19 onwards as God comes down to Sinai to give people the law. Now up till now, the first 17 chapters of Exodus, we've had the mighty plagues in Egypt that God has come down to set the Israelites free from slavery, the nail-biting drama and astonishing victory at the crossing of the Red Sea. And then, not content with their new freedom, we've also seen the major grumblings against Moses and God and the near rebellion from the people, which uh, God wonderfully answered with miracles of provision of water and food. And just recently, uh, we've been with the people of Israel as they've engaged in their first war against the Amalekites and how God marvellously gave them victory as Moses with Aaron and Hur lifted up their arms in prayer as Joshua and the young men did battle on the plain. All these amazing momentous events and happenings. And then in chapter 18, it's like we take a pause. And we find here a most tender domestic scene of family reunion, of story sharing and a touching practical piece of advice to Moses from his father-in-law. It feels quite normal. Now, what I propose to do is to relate some of the background to this chapter uh, laced with uh, relevant scriptures. And then uh, lead, read the whole of chapter 18, uh, just verbatim, which is really, actually, the, the chapter is really quite straightforward and, and plain to understand. Now, <clears throat> the key character in chapter 18, uh, apart from Moses, of course, is a man called Jethro. I just want to give a bit of background to how Jethro comes into the story. We meet him uh, back in in chapter 2 in Exodus, and, and there he's called a priest of Midian. We'll come on to where Midian is later. I think we can be fairly certain that he was not a priest of some pagan deity, some lesser god, uh, worship, uh, you know, with idol worship and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, Jethro is also known, he has another name, Ruel, and in fact we're introduced to him as Ruel in chapter 2 of Exodus. And the name Ruel means friend of God. So here is a priest who is a friend of God. And as I've read this uh, account of Jethro, he's very much reminded me of someone else that we meet way back in the time of Abraham, uh, someone he met. Because Abraham met uh, another man who was called a priest, uh, Melchizedek. And in fact, Melchizedek was priest of God most High. Now, he was based in, in, in um, what we would call now uh, Jerusalem, the, the, the city of peace. Um, so Melchizedek was priest of God Most High. I think that Jethro also was priest of God Most High. The interesting thing is about this is who the, what their understanding of this God is. The, the, the clue is almost in the title, God Most High the 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 God who is high lofty um, possibly uh, distant and remote I mean certainly the one true creator God uh, the one who made the heavens and the earth who's who's not confined to being a god of any particular place on earth but the God of the whole earth and especially a God who stands far above all other local and lesser deities but as i said possibly a, a remote god not known personally by name not necessarily a god who who shares in our lives here on earth so here we have jethro this priest of midian very possibly priest of god most high and uh, then the, the background how he is connected with Moses is this: Moses was brought up as an as an Egyptian prince, uh, but as he grew up, he probably grew in consciousness that actually he wasn't a, an Egyptian by descent. He was born a Hebrew, an Israelite, and he would have been well aware that the people of his birth were suffering under cruel slavery at the hand of the Egyptians who he was growing up amongst. And one day he killed an Egyptian slave driver that was beating a Hebrew slave. Now this murder became known and Pharaoh sought to arrest and kill Moses. So Moses fled for his life out of Egypt. And he he travels uh, eastwards, and he arrives in the land of Midian, the land of Jethro. And uh, when he gets there, he supports, he meets and supports Jethro's shepherd daughters who were engaged in a well dispute, a a water supply dispute. And he takes their side and rescues them from uh, other oppressive shepherds. And Jethro is really thankful to him for doing this. And he takes this refugee from Egypt into his household and he gives him one of his daughters as his wife. Moses shepherds Jethro's flocks and no doubt protects Jethro's family from further harassment. He gives Jethro two grandchildren although he still feels very much a stranger in the land of Midian. I'm just going to to wrap this up by reading the section in Exodus chapter 2. If you, want, if you have your Bible and you want to follow, uh, please look at Exodus chapter 2 and we're looking at verses 15 to 22. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs of water, uh, fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel. That's Jethro, their father. He asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he, Reuel? asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershon, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And here in Midian, Moses stayed for 40 years. We don't know all the details. When did he marry Zipporah? When were his children born? We don't know. As a shepherd seeking pasture for his flocks, he would have come to know this area like the back of his hand. Every well, every valley, every hill and mountain, every trackway. He would also have had plenty of time to ponder his heritage as an adopted Christian, adopted Egyptian prince, and also his ethnic roots as a Hebrew Israelite. He must have wondered throughout that 40 years, so what was all that about when I was in Egypt? Maybe you've come to... points in your life where you've gone through a difficult period or you've or something has happened in your life and you can't really explain it at all you think what was that all about well Moses had to wait 40 years before he was to discover the answer to that question and it happened on a particular day it was just another ordinary shepherding day Moses was quite a long way from home with the flocks. He came to an area, which he probably already knew very well, with a landmark mountain. The mountain had more than one name. We are first told it was called Mount Horeb. Elsewhere, it's called Mount Sinai. The book of Exodus makes it quite plain that they are the same place. They are both called the mountain of God. Now let's read together from Exodus chapter 3 and remind ourselves what happened on this mountain. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God there the angel of the lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up so moses thought i'll go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up when the lord saw that he had gone over to look god called to him from within the bush moses moses And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then God goes on and tells Moses that he has heard the cry of his people in slavery in Egypt and that he has chosen Moses to lead them to their freedom. So let's read on from verse 10. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I just pause at that point we might well say moses of course you're the ideal person you've got a hebrew background but you know the in uh, the uh, state of egypt inside out you were brought up in the royal court you know the language you have personal uh, contact with the pharaoh himself who better than you to go but these 40 years had totally taken out of moses any confidence in the flesh that he might have had from his upbringing and background and his education and all the rest of it. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Israel? And God said, I will be with you. And this is key. He goes on to say, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of egypt you will worship god on this mountain now to me that's a strange sign you would have thought god would have given a sign there and then rather like you know with midian he uh, with with gideon he he gave Gideon the sign of of the fleece you know with the dew on the fleece and not on the ground and then the dew on the ground and not on the fleece and that was the sign that God was with Gideon uh, but God doesn't give him a sign in advance he says the sign will be when the sign will be when it's happened When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, here's something important that we should learn. If you know God has called you to something, we naturally want a sign. But sometimes God doesn't give us a sign. He just says, you get on and do what I've called you to. When when it's done, when it's over when you come to look back then you will know of a surety that I sent you and called you to this task. Uh, it's a bit frustrating but it's because God calls us to walk not by sight but by face and this is what God was calling Moses to do. Now let's fast forward with The blessing of his father-in-law, Jethro, Moses obeys God and returns to Egypt. He takes his wife and two boys with him. And he demands that Pharaoh release the Hebrew people from their slavery. And after many (coughs) divine interventions, culminating in the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, the people escape. Now, at some point in all of this, Moses evidently sent his wife and family back from Egypt to Midian to live with his father-in-law Jethro, probably for their own safety. As they come out of Egypt, as they cross the Red Sea, uh, Moses knows that God is leading them. They're they're following the sign of the the fire by night and, and and the cloud by day. But also Moses knows, that's really for the people's sake, Moses knows exactly where they are headed for. They are going back to the very same mountain where God had met him and had given him his instructions. The promise that God had said, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, chapter 18, we're getting near to chapter 18. It begins with Moses and the people, only a couple of miles or so from their destination. And in many ways, for Moses... Arriving at Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, was a sort of coming home for him. He's back onto familiar ground. Uh, For those of you that are interested in geography, uh, just a little bit of geography at this point. Um, For those who are hearing this live... You'll see on the screen uh, the maps that I've got there. If you are listening to this on the podcast, you may want to get an atlas out and just look up uh, the Middle East and look at the, the Red Sea area. So if you imagine or can see the Red Sea Coming up, and and it, it, it forks into two prongs. There's the the left hand uh, prong of the Red Sea, which leads to ultimately what we call uh, the what's well, the Gulf of Suez leads into what we call uh, the uh, Suez Canal today. The right hand prong of uh, the Red Sea is what we call the Gulf of Aqaba, and leads up to. Uh, Aqaba today and uh, Elat there, uh, those two ports at the the very north of the Red Sea. And then in between those two prongs is this triangular piece of land we call the Sinai Peninsula. And the land of Goshen is where the, the Nile Delta comes out into the Mediterranean Sea. So it was in the land of Goshen that the people of Israel uh, lived during their captivity time in Egypt, and God led them from there across, possibly the Gulf of Suez, or across a waterway uh, called the Red the Red Sea, which is now. Uh, very near or or, or akin to the uh, Suez Canal, into this triangular piece of land called the Sinai Peninsula. Now, the traditional site of Mount Horeb, of Mount Sinai, is in the tip of that triangle of land called uh, the Sinai Peninsula. More recently, um, people have suggested that that's only a, 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 a traditional uh, site which doesn't necessarily have historical foundation to it, and um, some have put the uh, the mountain of God, uh, Mount Sinai, sort of just north of the Gulf of Aqaba. Uh, an Italian archaeological team have put forward that theory that they've identified um, the uh, a, a mountain as Mount Sinai because of uh, a a, a tra- Uh, archaeological evidence of worship that took place in that mountain and uh, perhaps more controversially uh, people many people are saying today that actually Mount Sinai sits in uh, what we would call today um, parts of northwest Saudi Arabia on the eastern side of the Gulf of Aqaba. Um, Anyway which is which is where the land of midian and people agree the land of midian uh is in what we would call northwest Saudi Arabia today and for that reason they suggest that that is where mount Sinai is and they've identified a, a mountain called jabal al laws where that uh, it could fit the bill whatever uh, that's that's really uh, by the by when they get to this uh, place just uh, as i say a couple of miles from the mountain of god there is a wonderful reunion. Jethro has heard the stories of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt under the leadership of his son-in-law and now they are near to his home and he comes to visit Moses and he brings with him his daughter Zipporah, Moses' wife and Moses' two sons. Now this is a hugely significant moment for both men. For Moses it's the fulfilment of Exodus 3 verse 12 he is about to worship with all the people at the mountain of god where god first met him in the burning bush for jethro this was to become a great deepening of his knowledge of god most high who he had faithfully worshipped all his years not only was he not only was this god the great creator god uh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Lord of all nations, the Lord of all the earth, but possibly a remote God, maybe a God that you uh, couldn't easily get to know. He now discovers that this God is also a God who comes, to, who hears and listens to the cry of his people. And he comes down to rescue them from their misery. He's not a God who is afar off, he is also a God who is near and this God is in charge of all history and he controls the elements and he has a personal name, Yahweh. There is no God like this and Jethro comes to know this God in a deeper way. So now I'm just going to really try and wrap up by reading chapter 18. And uh, as I say, it's a very straightforward, uncomplicated chapter. I trust just the reading of it will bless you. Now, Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people, Israel. And how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershon, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. That's what the name Gershon sounds like. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. The word, the name Eliezer sounds like helper. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord, Yahweh, is greater than all other gods, For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. I find that quite amazing that actually Jethro offers the sacrifice and the priest of Yahweh, Aaron, the high priest, came with all the elders of Israel to eat uh, with him and to uh, join with him in the sacrifice that he uh, he made, such as the honour that Jethro was held in. So that's the end of the first half of chapter 18. And then in the second half, we, we get a complete switch of scene. Um, And uh, let me just read it and it should explain itself. So we start in verse 13 of chapter 18. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people he said, what you are doing? "'What is this you are doing for the people? "'Why do you alone sit as judge "'while all these people stand around you "'from morning till evening?' "'And Moses answered him, "'Because the people come to see me to seek God's will. "'Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me "'and I decide between the parties "'and and inform them of God's decrees and instructions.' "'Moses' father-in-law replied, "'What you are doing is not good.' You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Listen now to me and I'll give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves.' That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds fifties and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent Jethro his father-in-law on his way and he returned to his own country. Well that's a great little story about a father-in-law giving wise advice to Moses, his son-in-law, and uh, how practical that was and teaches us too how we as a church should not be reliant or dependent on one person, but we should share the load together and where we are able to, to take responsibility, even if our responsibility may be just over 10 people uh, or fewer even, to take the responsibility that God has given to us and uh, and uh, in that case, see God's work done through his church. In a moment, I'm just going to pray. I just want to add one historical and topical footnote to all of this account. Uh, God has blessed us uh, by giving us a, a, a bit of a relationship as a church and some of us within the church with the Druze people of northern Israel. And the interesting thing is that the Druze people still venerate Jethro as their ancestor. Um, There may be some truth to this, although it's very difficult to substantiate it historically but it's interesting to note that there were definitely descendants of Jethro that lived in northern Israel in biblical times we read in the in the book of the judges of, of Heber the Kenite and his wife Jael who um who killed the uh the the um the military leader Sisera following the battle uh, uh that they had and um The Kenites are clearly descendants going all the way back to Jethro, who actually joined with the people of Israel. I don't know how far we can uh, historically justify Jethro as the ancestor of the Druze people. But what we do know is this, is that God has given us as a church a link with those Druze people. People and they have a significant role to play um, in the land of Israel as a bridge between uh, the Arab uh, I- uh, Israelis and and the Jewish Israelis, and they do play a wonderful mediating role there. And uh, we pray that many of them will come to know the Lord Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. So we continue to pray for the Jewish, the Druze people living. Uh, amongst the uh, the jewish people of israel let's pray together father we thank you for this narrative of this amazing man jethro this godly man this man who knew you as god most high and came to know you as the personal god who comes to rescue his people thank you father for his wisdom and his grace and his dignity Uh, for his respect for his son-in-law and his son-in-law's respect for his father-in-law. I pray, Father, that you will help us to honour our in-laws in the same way. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to listen to advice in the same way. I pray, Lord, that you will help us as a church to share responsibilities amongst ourselves under your guidance and leadership. I pray, Lord, that you will help us In our relationship with the Druze people, we pray for them, Lord, for their salvation and for their role in the land of Israel, even today. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.